0: grades, how to re-evangelize the de-christianized West, support us in any way you can, most especially by your prayers, from an authentically Catholic perspective,
1: right-minded, righteous group that's equal in strength to the radicals,
0: from an authentically masculine
1: perspective, you and your friends versus me and my friends. Bring it on. Welcome, everybody, to another Rules for Retrogrades, all you parish orphans out there. Uh, Dave and Tim Gordon here. We are pleased to welcome to the show with us a kind of reunion. I haven't seen this gentleman since the middle of summer when it was a warmer climb, and I was out in his neck of the woods. Now we're, uh, we're splitting the difference. You're on the East Coast. We're on the West Coast. Mr. Matt Fradd, uh, how the heck are you, man?
2: G'day. Lovely to be with you. Congratulations on the new show. Absolutely love the logo. It looks fantastic, and I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks, yeah. Matt, for being on. Yeah, this is a
1: meetup of sorts uh, between Dave Gordon and Mr. Matthew Fred. No one ever calls you Matthew Fred. People sometimes call me Timothy J. Gordon, and I like the J in there, but I- I've never heard anyone call you Matthew Fred.
0: That's I used to his mom go ahead, I
2: used to go by Matthew Frad and then I had someone when I put out my first book I had to make a decision and I knew whatever I kind of went with it would have to be that and someone said uh, I like Matt Frad because of the double dental stop which I didn't know what that meant at the time but he you know explained it to me Matt Frad kind of so that's that's actually that book yeah, name
1: Yeah double dental it's uh bup bup yeah so mm-hmm. you get uh, Matt Matt Frad yeah it's 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 like getting hit with a you know, a jab and then a light yep. straight or something. What's, it's what's nice. on your
2: book, Catholic Republic over there? Is it Tim or Timothy?
1: I think that's Timothy. That's the Milo version there. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's Timothy, Timothy Gordon. And then I think it went Timothy J. Gordon when I switched to Sophia. And yeah, so Dave and I, well, we're going to talk about all your exciting new stuff, Matt. I don't. I don't want to talk about me. We have two new books. And one of the publishers kept trying to call it David Gordon with, with Tim Gordon, that sounds like a form with a casual. It doesn't work. I had to keep correcting them. But you have a lot of new stuff going on. That's I wanted to help you out. Have everyone uh, see clearly that we are uh, on the same team here because there's there's uh, there's an excitement about the
2: Matt Fradd show where I joined you there in Atlanta, and it was uh, that that uh, that was that blindsided me. Not so much our conversation, which I enjoyed, but what happened afterwards. Um, yeah. It was almost like people thought that we were against each other, but you know, I don't think we were. I had your wife and your kids and you over, and my, my wife and I hung out with your family, and I thought you guys were awesome, and so I'm glad we're doing this. No, I mean, that's kind of the point. It's, yeah, that's, that's the whole point. It's just...
1: Like, man, these, uh, we were kind of talking about it before we got rolling here. The purity spirals in uh, the Catholic world and the dysfunction. Maybe we can start out just talking about that. Uh, a lot of Catholics out there think it's a defensible kind of virtue of the Catholic world is that it's so eminently dysfunctional and that we have these purity spirals. You're, you're not Catholic enough. You're not that. Oh. Of course, that has its place in. You know, if somebody's not practicing the faith, but man, yeah, people are going after you. They were going after me, and you and I the whole time. Uh, aside from a few little points of clarification, we're like we're homies, y'all. Like, you know, people want to create drama where there isn't any.
2: Yeah, I think in times of confusion, we seek clarity, um, and when we're seeing prominent people within the church spouting heresy or who are obfuscating what is, you know, settled Catholic teaching. Right. We're we're trying to figure out who's on our side. You know, you look around, you've got people like Father James Martin have an agenda that he's not saying outright. And you've got all sorts of other people like this. And so I think it just leads us to want to know who's out and who's in. And that can be, as you say, a healthy thing, but it can be unhealthy, I guess, too. Without a doubt. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And for the record out there, we all agree. Father James Martin probably, probably isn't on our side, but who knows? He could always, he could always have a conversion. And uh, and come over to this side, <laughs> but but I mean no, it was the remarkable thing was that um you know D- Dave, I guess you were kind of a, a passive bystander to this. I mean people just they actually will tout vice as if it's virtue in the Catholic world with with these purity spirals, right? I mean they'll say. Oh well, it's good. So and so went after so and so. It's good these two people aren't friends. And me and yeah, like Matt said, I mean we were we were barbecuing right afterwards. You invited me to sincerely, sincerely, I'll add, to stay the night. And you know, you guys were all but begging us. We're like, oh, we gotta we gotta drive all the way back to the West Coast. But I mean, that was yeah, it was a uh, it was actually a good time. That was the first real kind of TV station work I'd ever done, and it was uh, it was a good time at the Matt Fred show. Of course now. I mean, we'll get to this in a minute. The Matt Frad Show and Pints with Aquinas have merged their energies, right, synergistically. uh, we're, We're excited for you. Thank you
2: very much. Yeah. It got me thinking, you know, like I got two of these shows. I got like two, three different brands that I'm balancing. And it turned out that the Matt Frad Show and Pints with Aquinas aren't terribly different, except for the Matt Frad Show was a video show. And it had some confusion. People were asking – referring to the Matt Fradgeau as my pints with Aquinas video show. And so we kind of discerned it uh, with my team here and we decided just to kind of bring everything under the one label. So, yeah, that's just kind of clearer. It would be kind of like if you had rules for Retrograde's video show and then something you know, totally different and people like confused, you know? Well,
1: I, we have a little bit of that. Both Dave and I get asked all the time uh is this tnt and i'm like what do you do you see taylor marshall right right but yeah so we yeah you you give me some good advice i think at the beginning when i was just getting off the ground here with dave you gave me some real good advice by phone again evidence of uh solid friendship we just want people out there to see that there's um maybe more than anything i think this is like dave's favorite topic that there's plenty of room for all tones of voice um, on the, the the faithful Catholic side, as long as somebody is saying the right things, right? There, there's all different. I mean, look look at your your kind of banner, uh, twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen, Matt. You had an incredibly successful two years there, and you have this you know great energy about your show. your... are you you know optimistic you're you're upbeat but you're realistic and honest and people appreciate that about the Matt Frad show at the same time uh Taylor and I had a banner kind of middle 2018 to middle 2019 and it was a little uh, you know our our vibe we're, we're saying many of the same things but we yeah. had a different a different kind of vibe it was it's a little less upbeat but people really obviously craved that too it was a phenomenon uh TNT and what we're saying is um I can't remember if it was Fulton Sheen or Peter Kreeft said that we've absolutized our politics and we've relativized our religion. Mm. Dave, you're kind of always talking about the fact that we have uh, absolutized what we demand in our speakers and their tone of voice, and we've relativized what they're actually, the content of what they're saying. Yeah, I see see our friendship, Matt, in an ongoing way as uh, proof that what matters is what you're saying, not how you say it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. When I interviewed Michael Voris as an old video back in the day, I interviewed him on my YouTube channel. That was one of the things I brought up. I'm like, yeah, a lot of people don't like you. And his point was, so what? Like, why think I need to appeal to everybody? Or why think that one particular commentator needs to appeal to everybody in the church? So I think we have different voices because we're different people. We come at things from a different angle. Um, and different people will find our styles you know, um, what do you say? Not just more palatable, but uh, more effective for them personally than others. Um, that it would be weird if if everyone who was on YouTube that was Catholic all sounded like me, or if they all sounded like you or they all sounded like me, I wouldn't want that. I don't think you would either. but um, yeah, so I guess I guess I'm trying to kind of clarify and pray about what the Lord wants from what I'm doing. and I try I'm trying to see my role as trying to show the coherence, beauty, truthfulness of the Catholic faith when it feels like everything's on fire, uh, trying to share how to do that yeah, while while things are really chaotic. So I'm really kind of glad that there are different voices in the church who are pointing to corruption and things like that. Um, I just don't think that's my role.
0: Most people don't know, though, that there can be a plurality of voices in the church, and it's actually an un-Catholic thing to think. It's an un-Catholic way of thinking. Uh, We talk about uh, Pope Pius the in mystici corporis uh, his encyclical great encyclical on the mystical body of Christ and the body of Christ is Itself a society and in a society there are many different parts each would serve one another en route to a, a final common goal and people don't understand that so um, they, they look at us who are three relatively young men and if we don't evangelize you know like sweet old church women in a a feminized voice or if i don't you know i'm what young early 30s right so still in the brashness of early adulthood if i say something the way a young man would the way i can serve the body of christ not maybe as like a heart but as like a killer t-cell then there's this scoldiness this uh pro procrustian imperiousness where people come down on me and, and people like me who have the gall to speak in a way that isn't acceptable in this uh, post-conciliar, hyper-ecumenical, um, niceness-obsessed, false church of Christ. And, and, and that's what it is. It's a false church. In the body of Christ, there are many parts, which means there are muscles and there are white blood cells that, that help and to, to kind of take out unorthodoxy, right? Or, or to push things where they need to be pushed.
1: Yeah.
2: Well put. Yeah, I, often yeah, I mean, think, I often think if you put Michael Voris, like let's say Michael Voris was a woman and he was in a religious habit, like Mother Angelica, right? So you've got this old nun, and let's say she was saying exactly the same things that Michael Voris was. I think, uh, <laughs> I think people would accept that message a lot more. I think people are intimidated uh, sometimes when you have a man speaking frankly like that, but Mother Angelica, you know, she held no punches a lot of the time, and people accepted what she had to say. Generally speaking,
0: well, that's paradoxical, right? Because if you have if men, should be the muscle in the church. Now, God bless yes. Mother Angelica. She said, I mean, some of those Angelica isms are are just priceless. You know, I remember a show. Where she was talking about uh, people putting on too much cologne and perfume and wearing tight pants, where they're having muffin top roll out of the pants and <laughs> and be like exhibitionists when right. they they have like bad bodies and, and just dousing themselves with perfume, and it's like yeah, that's awesome, Mother Angelica, and and that's a great great observation, and you know, but it's a little bit sad that the ones who should be the most outspoken, uh, the active principle, right, because. Activity—it's associated with with uh, masculinity. This is why we call God Father instead of Mother, because He is active in creating. He, you know, anytime there's a mother goddess, she has a passive role in being formed. Um, so, so the Father's—you know—is one thing that theologians agree on. We call God Father partly because it's revealed to call God Father, but it makes sense that it's revealed. As such, because he's the active principle in creation. So, Mm -hmm. passivity is feminine. We write about this in the book. I write about this in my chapter on femininity in our No Christian Feminism book. Uh, Passivity is er, feminine. Um, Activity is masculine. So, it's weird that we live in such a perverted age that people are clamoring and yearning and encouraging this... um, kind of muscular speaking out from from women and discouraging it from men, who are the proper uh, instruments of such muscular evangelization.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I bet if you looked at a Carmelite monastery and then a Carmelite convent, I bet the way in which they live out their vocations actively... Uh, as, as you know, are very different. I I, would, I actually don't know, I haven't looked into it, but, but, uh, that'd be interesting to look into, I imagine, with the kind of manual labor and things like that that might be required of the men that isn't required of the women. I'm not sure.
1: But what so, uh, Matt, respond to this because I, I think it's, I think it's more than, you know, a little bit telling that people have, or I mean, maybe, maybe you just disagree, but I, I don't think you have. People really have relativized the, the message of the messenger. I mean, I've heard you say so many good things over the past year alone where I'm like, Matt, unlike, unlike some of the people out there where I actually textually disagree with them, Matt says in a really palatable, winsome way um, it's, that's achieving a different crowd. A lot of the same things about the church crisis that, that I, I'm saying on the show, or Dave's saying on the show, or, or Taylor's saying on his show, we've relativized the message and we have absolutized the tone of voice. Like Dave's saying, there's room for all the members of the body. Not not just that. That's an understatement. All of the different members of the body, as St. Paul would say, are necessary for the proper healthful functioning of the church body, aren't they? I mean, aren't people missing this? Isn't this what's great about guys like you and, and uh, Michael Voris teaming up and us and Taylor? Oh, right? I mean...
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I also feel... <clears throat> Sometimes I look at the way you guys speak, and I feel like you you seem a lot more convinced in what you're saying as where the church is right now and specific elements within it. Um, and maybe that's to your credit. Um, sometimes I just feel like I, I just don't know enough. Um I'm just a father with four kids, you know runs a video show. I see what pops up on my on my video channel, but I'm not a journalist, uh, you know I'm not a specialist in anything really. So I'm just trying to wrap my head around these things, and maybe that's why when I'm trying to speak, I'm, I'm really trying to figure things out. I don't want to demonize anyone or anything too quickly if I don't have to. I really want to give people the benefit of the doubt. I really want to hear where they're coming from, because uh, I think a lot of the time, especially as Catholics, if we love our Lord and are trying to be faithful to the church, I think there's a heck of a lot more common ground uh, than, than what divides us, which is why I think if you look at what I've done on my video show, I've had you know people on my show uh, who are you know, uh, I don't know who would who would think Pope Francis is is one of the better popes that we've had in a long time. And then I've had people like you on the show, and uh, I just enjoy talking to people and trying to figure these things out. I, I don't want to stay in no man's land, but I, but I um, I don't know. Maybe that's some of our difference. Does that make sense? Sure. It yeah, may I mean, not. Dave. Maybe that's Dave the point, and I. I don't
1: know. <laughs> a lot of people, I think a lot of our viewers might have been surprised to hear that um, in terms of this pontificate. Dave is, uh, you know, but maybe, maybe between you and I, in terms of feeling certainty about, you know, uh, just exactly what the motivations behind this pontificate are, and so yeah, you're, this is what I mean about the kind of purity spirals. Yeah. Some of which I understand, but but Dave was cool. saying, I mean, you noticed he was nodding his head, Dave. You were nodding his head as he was saying that. I don't, I'm not as sure as other of these guys. As maybe I, I feel pretty sure. I, I've been very public about saying that for more than a year and a half, if you include what I've written, uh, several years. But, I mean, even like-minded people, you know, uh, the other host of this show, are, are not we're not all in the exact same spot yeah. um, as, in terms of how to react to the church crisis. Dave's yeah. always saying, I want, a, I, I want a little more information. And I think there's, there's room for that without flying into a uh, purity cyclone.
2: Yeah, like I guess evidence of that would be I guess we as human beings are tribal, uh, and, and and again in times of chaos we seek stability, we seek out we seek out our group. And uh, we can then be maybe blind to uh, <laughs> some of the things that aren't so good about that group or that tribe leader. Um, just to give you one example, like I'm, I'm actually I like Michael Voris. Uh, with the times we've spoken, I think he's a, a good man who loves our Lord, is trying to be faithful. But I think it was one time he referred to Bishop Robert Barron as Bishop Bobby, and I said I don't think you should do that. Um, and whatever you think about that. I think that's like a legitimate, at least opinion. And there was a lot of people who kind of like either trashed me or trashed him. And I think sometimes we can fall into the trap if we kind of align ourselves with a particular person or commentator. Um, yeah, maybe there's not as much nuance as there ought to be, or, or we, we find uh, we don't like when, when that person that we've kind of linked our cart to is being attacked or criticized or questioned in any way. Does, does that make sense?
0: I, I agree. I think in the wake of actually, what was it two episodes ago, um, Tim, that we were speaking about uh, priestly celibacy and where Pope Francis was going to take that. And I was saying, you know, I am always ready to critique and speak the truth gently, you know, but clearly um, not not hold, holding back any punches, not pulling any punches when the magisterium airs. But since we do have a public audience and with great power comes great responsibility, until I have crossed the certainty threshold, and I, I'm not saying that m- maybe people who know more than me about the magisterium, um, maybe they have, but until I personally have crossed the certainty threshold, uh, I, I have a hard time imputing motives to somebody um even when they're a central figure in what I see as some bad steps in in the church and some a bad direction in the church, so while I can say the direction that the church is taking is certainly bad, I'm sometimes loath to say maybe it's uh, that it's because of malice versus whether somebody is just being kind of um, pulled in many directions by by perhaps prelates that are themselves malicious, although maybe the pontiff himself is not. So I'm just... And people jumped all over that, right? In the well, comments. Like, so oh, Dave's not red-pilled, you know.
1: <laughs> here's the question. In in the midst of all that, I, I mean, I, yeah, I think there's a lot of agreement here, but here's the pushback. It becomes a kind of... Um, it becomes a kind of... Uh, uh, cords plugged into extension cords, plugged into extension cords, where you're ever like, well, where do... Where does one of these extension cords plug in into the wall outlet when, when, we're, when we're exercising? Because there will be people in our audience that are out there saying this to both uh, Dave and to you, Matt. Um, wait, if, well, how do we know? We, we know more about the Pope. We don't have to do a whole Pope thing, but we know more about the Pope than we know about any of the individual other prelates, right? So what people will say that are maybe, maybe a little closer to my point of view— um, would would be like, well, why aren't we extending the same kind of uh, benefit of the doubt to the actors out there who have less power and less responsibility in the church and whom we know less about, right? Like any of the individual Germans in the German bishop conference.
0: Because they're <laughs> less guarded with what their motivations are. So they'll speak more off mm. the cuff, whereas the Pope, he is insulated the to by... cuff. The well, be, to be yeah, prepared. that's true, and... <laughs> But sometimes what he's saying is totally straight orthodox. There's no room for homosexuals in the priesthood. Uh, I would rather die than see celibacy in the priesthood abandoned. He said these things off the cuff too. He said that, didn't he?
2: Yeah, he did. Yes, I dare you to tweet that out and just put hyphen Pope Francis just, just to see what I mean. Like we imagine all did. the criticism Timothy Gordon would get if he were to tweet that. But True. but why should you? I quoted Obama recently because I thought he said something cool about be careful before you think you're woke enough, and I just I just quoted that. But again, it's an ad hominem to say, well, Obama's a bad guy. Uh, I think we can we can again. It's very kind of a, uh, like Socrates to try and, try and seek the truth wherever it is and celebrate it. Yeah. You know, the, and-
1: the reason that the reason you have to be aware of that, one, is because of what Dave and you, Matt, are saying. You're, you're saying there are purity spirals and uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, some people will start to purity spiral just for me mentioning his name. But I, I like, you know, I think there's a lot of wisdom uh, in the, in that man, uh, whatever other problems he may have. he He gave the term and I think it's just perfect. Some people are spiraling out of control right now just at the mention of the name. So yes, that's one of the motivating causes. But the other one that where where people might be like a, a little more warranted is because there's something called a fallacy of emphasis, right? So mm-hmm. if I'm always saying like Bono from YouTube gotcha. uh, said this, if, oh President Obama said this, the Dalai Lama said this, I'm aligning myself by mm-hmm. a, um, by a kind of uh, axis of emphasis with. The, the you know the global left and not that you were doing that much right I no you know you could, be,
2: weren't, you could be giving the impression that you are you know supporting all of their ideas and you right. might not be but people could take that away and you don't want to do that yeah or even if you're not support
1: I mean it's really delicate this is what, what we're doing right now even just kind of massaging all of this stuff that happens on 144 character Twitter or whatever times two um, <laughs> is is really incredibly delicate and. In terms of like the philosophy of communications, no one's really taken the time out of their day. No, no smart people anyway. Uh, by that I mean philosophers and theologians, not the people, you know, the little, the little, uh, I don't know what you'd call them, uh, humanoids making these these technologies. I mean the actual philosophers and theologians. No one's taken the time out of their day to say what does all this mean. That now most people are getting their news communicating uh emoting uh communing with the world by Twitter by 144 or what is it 288 characters at a clip um it's very dangerous and so i think it's important that we we talk about there's a subtle difference between like yeah we want to find truth wherever it is right and yeah every once in a while pope francis says something that i think um on an airplane, no less, that I think might not violate one of the the two general catechisms. It's amazing, you know? (laughs) Well, whoop de doo we we should get excited. Every once in a while, Pope Francis will say something like, uh, there are three persons in the Trinity, and that's quotable, right, right? And if I did tweet it out, some people would be mad. The sensible ones would only be curious, okay, are you tweeting this to kind of endorse everything he said, like you just said, Matt? Or are you doing so just to be honest because sometimes he says and, true things?
2: Uh, can I give an example? Like um, I, I that, that, what, that time Pope Francis slapped that woman's hand recently. I saw that, and if I looked at that as an isolated incident, I was like, yeah, that totally makes sense. If someone was tugging on my arm and if I was old and that hurt, I would probably slap their hand. I thought that was fine. Uh, but I suspect that people who have already made up their mind about Pope Francis and are very angry about him uh, – Maybe unwilling to look at anything and give him the benefit of the doubt. Now, someone could say, yes, but this is this is kind of a recurring theme that we see in Pope Francis. He, he's he's showed signs of this before. Yeah, maybe that's true. I'm just saying this one incident. If I was just to see that, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but I suppose if I was to come out and just say that I would make a lot of people pretty angry. So, I, I don't even know why I'm sharing that except to say I think a lot of us have made it's kind of like Donald Trump. Like, he's a very um, polarizing figure. Uh, less so, I think, for instance, is less so perhaps in some, in some ways. But, you know, people have made up their mind about Donald Trump and so are reluctant to give him any kind of praise if they hate him um, and are reluctant to criticize him if, you know, they, they love him. Um, and I think it would be nice to see something a little more nuanced than that. I think I have the nuance, actually,
0: and it, it really breaks down in my mind. This is how I have it kind of worked out for myself. Um, it, between a respect for the man versus a respect for the office. So we can say, especially with the Pope, this is most important with the Pope. I think it's a bit sanctimonious when Americans are like, well, you know, I, I'm i not going to criticize President Obama right, out of right. uh, respect for the office. It's like, well, I think he was a disgrace to the office. So that that just doesn't go. But now we're talking about supernatural duties, in in a way, and that we—we read Lumen Gentium 25. We owe our assent and respect as dutiful sons of the Magisterium to the Magisterium. This is something that the Church teaches. It's also in Donum Veritatis. You know, we owe a duty to the Magisterium um, as sons of the Church. Now, with Pope Francis, I think I've seen a lot of things about him that maybe, you (laughs) know— we wouldn't get along possibly very well if I were to meet him on the street as a man. But, the reason he deserves to be extolled when he does do something good, even at the risk of, like, having people throw the genetic fallacy at us. Well, will you like—this po- came from Pope Francis, so it can't be good, you know, because there's this perception of unorthodoxy about him. So people—if you quote P- Pope Francis on something, faithful Catholics might have a tendency to be like, well, then it, it can't be a good thing because you're quoting Pope Francis, and he's also said— you know, questionable things, or if you were to believe Scalfari, you know, some very bad things. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not the case, because he is, for better or for worse, our spiritual father, the head of the church, the vicar of Christ in Rome right now. When he does say something that's good, we have a duty to to give our assent to it, and to embrace it, and uh, even to praise it and pray for him. Um, And so to encourage him on his way when he does something good. That that's how I'd break it down. Even if we wouldn't extend that that sort of deference to somebody naturally, like the president of the United States, like President Obama could have done something. I don't think he did actually, but he could have done something you know real good, and I'd still be like, he deserves criticism because he's like anti-christic in his values. Well, wait,
1: wait, but okay, mm-hmm. there. So the, again, that's where the analogy breaks down when when you're saying something good, right? And we, this this doesn't have to be a Pope show because I want to talk about Matt's Matt's book in a second here. But when you say something good, you just mean something adequate to the office or something fitting to the office. I yeah, I mean, there's been nothing um, as far as I'm saying. I'm not speaking for Matt. I'm not speaking for Dave. But I'll I'll go on record as saying it. There's been nothing nothing good or or the, you know exceptional in terms of the teaching office, the spiritual aspect of the office, the moral theology that's come out of this pontificate. There's been nothing good. What you're calling good in the case of Pope Francis, Dave, in respect of the office, but not President Obama in his respective office, is something that's like not completely offensive against the tradition and the expectations we have for it. I always use the example of um, Pope Francis will say, oh, there's three persons in the Trinity, it's a made-up example. When people start going nuts, you know, National Catholic Reporter will have a, um, you know, a 50-day-long jubilee saying, look how look how orthodox this guy is. It's like, no, I mean, that's just barely competent. He's not actually running into heterodoxy or heteropraxy with this comment. And so people are going nuts, and that's where I think uh, you refuse to do it with respect to President Obama, I I refuse to do it with really anyone. If he did something that were exceptionally good, Pope Francis, if there's anything that anyone could point at, and I want to let Matt have a crack at this, and I guess Dave, before we move on, if there's anything that's overarchingly positive about this pontificate that I, I truly believed, I would say it, and I would tweet it out, and I wouldn't fear the reprisal. But there's nothing. It's all been on the whole bad. And anything he said is like, you know, there's a hypostatic union. Or never mind, he didn't even inform the hypostatic union because to Scalfari, he said Jesus wasn't God when he was a human being. I mean, that's how bad it is. It's Allegedly, like yes. Yeah. It's like an SNL scheme. Well, I mean, he's, but Matt, come on, man. You know, unlike me, unlike you, unlike Dave, he's got a mouthpiece that all they have to do, they come out, can be 36 hours later. They just say, yeah, no, no, this, he might have said this, but don't believe your own lying ears. Here's what he meant. And that's official. That, that, that never happened with those six or seven scalp Yeah, It,
2: it should have been, it should have been clarified and denounced a lot more clearer than it was, I think. Right. But so
1: it, I want to give you guys a crack at it because this was not a Pope show. This is more like, hey, we're, 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 we're good. Well, when to you, you say,
2: when you say if there's any overarching good about the pontificate, it sounds like you're talking about his pontificate as a whole. But you yes. could, a person could disagree that the pontificate has been a good thing, but still point to individual things that he's said and done that have been good, right? right. Well, I mean, more than just like
1: a one-time admitting. You know, I think Pope Francis has been kind of uh, leveraged into admitting there are three persons in the Trinity at some point in his his, in his pontificate. I mean, consistent whole thing. Hey, I'm not the biggest. I'm not the biggest. Um,
2: um, well, one thing would you know, be his insistence of. on the mercy of God, uh, and he seems to be, have been insistent on that. One of the things he's said, and I, I think he quotes, he's been paraphrasing a saying when he says this: "Is it's not it's not the it's not the Father who grows tired of forgiving us; it's us who grow tired of asking forgiveness because of our pride." I think that's uh, kind of referencing Saint Francis de sales, but there, I would say he's been consistent in teaching something that's good. And I don't think you can say, well, just because he hasn't been equally consistent in talking about the, one might argue, the negative effects of sin or the reality of hell, that therefore we can't say that uh, his talk about mercy hasn't been a good thing. Right, and I would say his emphasis on building an authentic
0: relationship with Christ that's not mediated by—and I think now we have to nuance it because there's been— this broad brushing of like older traditions, kind of this this perception of it under this pontificate as kind of bad. If if you hold fast to older traditions, you're quote rigid. But I Mm -hmm. think that there's, and this is very much in line with what we were talking about earlier. There's this sense of like pearl clutcheriness among even Orthodox Catholics that can lead to dysfunction in the church when they're trying to do what's right, but they get so attached to certain traditions, certain, um, Certain functions, certain elements, uh, whether it's like how many times you pray Latin facing East per day, and then they start to judge you on that. Yes, and Pope yes. Francis, one effect of his pontificate has been to emphasize that the relationship of Christ with Christ and your love for Christ is going to, yes. to be what matters on Judgment Day more than adherence to tradition. And before I get <clears throat> savaged and lampooned, I'm Too very lame. traditional. I like the traditional Latin Mass. Um, and I, I think Latin should be retained just like sacrosanctum concilium says as the primary language of the Mm -hmm. church. Um, I'm very much in favor of these older traditions. I don't eat meat on Friday. I'm not trying to virtue signal. I'm just trying to establish credentials here when I am saying these things. It's not out of my own personal, uh, antagonism towards these older traditions. I'm very much for them, but some people, and, and there's a great Pope Francis quote. Before, I guess I'll get savage now, where he says that there's a problem yeah, of self-absorbed you're Promethean, I'm sorry, self-absorbed Promethean Neopelagianism of those who ultimately trust only in their own powers and feel superior to others because they observe certain rules or remain uh, intransig- intransigently faithful to a particular Catholic style from the past. A supposed yes. soundness of doctrine or discipline leads instead to a narcissistic and authoritarianism or authoritarian elitism, whereby instead of evangelizing, one analyzes and cla- classifies others, and instead of opening the door to grace, one exhausts his or her energies in inspecting and verifying. In not, the, these ma- are manifestations um, of an anthrop. Anthropocentric imminentism, and that's uh, Ooh, Evangelii that Gaudium, that's paragraph beautiful. ninety-four.
2: Yeah, it, it is. I Agree with all of that, and I would say well, that was that is something he's consistently kind of referred to throughout his pontificate, even if he hasn't balanced it out in the other way, which I, in, a, in a way that I think would be helpful. Right, but I, I think, see. Here's
1: what here's what the response would be, and, and I, I, it's it's a, a robust one that, it, like, yes, I you you could go to the too far to the side of justice over mercy, right? God's caritas is, you know, is a supernatural virtue that we're supposed to emulate in God, um, is is a mixture of justice and mercy. And, and Matt, I, I totally agree. So, you know, it's possible, it's conceivable to go too far to the side of extolling justice. God is partly mercy as well. They're like two parallel lines that bent, like Ivan Karamazov says, well, somehow, somehow in eternity they can be bent by God and he can perfectly dispense justice with mercy, even though they seem like opposites. Francis oh, definitely is on the side of mercy over justice when it comes to people who aren't his personal enemies. So some of the things he said about them, taken as a one-off, right, the way maybe National Catholic Reporter would... um would sound, I I couldn't disagree, like, this taken out of its context, that might be good if he weren't totally erring on the side of mercy and completely impugning everyone, which Francis has a strong history of doing, impugning everyone on justice. So that's what I mean about not just a one-time quote, but in context, even the the good that he says, that he's done, where I'm like, oh, that was kind of elegant or whatever— I think it's ultimately errant. I think he's he's erring too far to the side of mercy. Or what he says about the rigids. Um, Dave Dave and I talked about this two shows ago. If you take out of context what he's saying, he's not talking about the people, you know, that I've had a struggle with, that I tend to disagree with, or that you tend to disagree with. He's talking about all the Catholics that so-called... Love, I don't understand youths who love the Latin Mass. Dig, dig a little. There's always a psychological problem. That's who he's talking about. He's not talking about the, maybe the, the weirdos or randos that are maybe low IQ or something or, or go caveman on you with a You have to order your pizza in Latin or you're not Catholic enough. Maybe we've had squ- – we, I've, right. I've had issues right. with these people. But you're the one massaging and taking out of context something Francis has said that's ultimately wrong. He says is it-
0: all the youth that love the Latin mass – it's so a hermeneutic of continuity that attaches to his ma- official no, magisterial acts, yes. like his ordinary magisterium no. in *Evangelii Gaudium*. And so, we're interpreting it in the sense of the Church about has things, has that. always taught that we are not saved. We're not Pelagians, you know. Yeah. We are not saved by yeah. these things that we do. We're not earning our way to Christ. It's our, by virtue of. The sacramental grace and our love for God and being born again of water and spirit that are going to be with us on Judgment Day. So interpreting Evangelii Gaudium in that sense, as opposed to perhaps um, this subjective sense, whether it's felt within Pope Francis or not, uh, that's, that's where we can say this is a laudable thing and certainly what he wrote there is good because we've all felt judged i'm sure and i think steve skojak had a great tweet about this the other day we've all felt judged before on like i'm am i wearing the wrong color like dress shoes to latin mass um or is Not my the wrong color
2: scapula right yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. yeah green yeah. or brown
0: i
1: no, yeah. i i I see those. That's just not that's not what Francis said. You're taking him out of context, but we got to That's not what he said. And, and uh, applying a hermeneutic of continuity to uh, a papal. This is this is nice to airplane. see you
2: guys. This is nice to see you guys kind of give a bit of pushback. Did you and Taylor? I never really watched Joel's show. Um, did you all do that? We all pushing back on each other like the way you and Dave do? Well, when it came to Taylor and me, I mean, we're
1: we're more in, and this is what surprised people. People still don't believe me when I said this, even though we only met in person once. Uh, yeah, we we agreed more, I think, naturally on this pontificate on the meaning of this pontificate in the most deeply superlatively troubled uh, church in crisis, a little bit more than than Dave and I do. So. I don't think, I don't, Taylor and I might have disagreed, I think where we might have disagreed more, even though it never came up in shows more, is how, you know, and I'm not sure, but how large by portion among the so-called trads, uh, how much are the truly troublesome ones that are go- that will go caveman on you, you know, but, but in the way that... If you applied Francis's words, I think, in the right way. I don't think in the way he ever means them. I don't think he knows this many trads, right? Uh, He just doesn't like anyone that likes the Latin mass, according to himself. But if you applied his words in the way Dave is, I think Taylor and I might have disagreed on what portion of trads um, are that. I I think I would think it's a larger portion will kind of go caveman on you if you wear the wrong color scapular or shoes to mass. I, I mean, I... I think I would think it's uh, slightly more than him. That doesn't mean, I'm not saying it's 50%, but there, there no. is a block out there. Dave, Matt, you, and, and I all agree. There's a block of these trads out there which is like, dude, the purity spiral. I got no use for it. I got zero use for the purity spirals where they're like, even the people that are jumping over, Trent Horn did a, um, a very, very helpful uh, podcast on Harry Potter. He was he was totally
2: Yeah, totally, I thought that was good.
1: He was you you heard it? Yeah. Completely objective. And he was like, okay, I'm gonna go through all of these claims made against Harry Potter and I just I want to investigate. And people were getting mad before even the investigation. I'm like, this is the I definition should, of bigotry.
2: Uh, uh, Carl Keating wrote a book called The Francis Feud and in it he said this line I don't know if he was quoting someone or not but it summed it up for me he said we used to look to Rome to clarify the confusion of our parishes now we look to our faithful parishes to clarify the confusion of Rome in other words there seems to be confusion not just in the culture it seems nuts out there we used to take refuge in the church and now we go into the church and it seems just as confusing as ever and so we rightly uh, want answers and when we're not getting the clarity and the direction that we need it's very frustrating and i think there's a legitimate frustration there but then i can i think it can also lead to illegitimate sort of reactions where we say things like well unless you're wearing the brown scapula you're not on the team you're not a real catholic or something like that and I think that's what Pope Francis is responding to, and I'd be a lot more open to hearing him say those things if I felt like he was saying uh, the balance of that. Whenever I meet someone who trashes people who go to the Latin Mass, like I've met so many priests who say to me, um, you know, they criticize Pope Benedict by saying young people aren't into the Latin Mass. And I thought, <laughs> totally oh, how, how ironic, like you yeah. are the one father who is out of touch. Like we right. young people are like spiritual orphans. We weren't given a heritage. We were raised in these sloppily effeminate, uh, masses with guitars and ponytails. And let's say hi to our neighbor. When yeah. we have this desire for God, we wish to be taken seriously. And it's right. just, it's mocked in a way. And, and we're, we're fed up with it. And I think that's a totally legitimate thing.
0: Amen. Yeah, I, I completely agree. There, there has to be, and this is where the criticisms become valid, but they, they're criticisms of what is said. And like I said, I'm always ready. To to criticize when, when the magisterium errs as a faithful son of the church, which we have a duty to do, right? Under canon law, we have a duty to make known our concerns to the magisterium. So as faithful sons of the church, we have to be ready when the magisterium does err and kind of cause a scandal among the faithful to, to steer them away and to correct them. So when you hear bad errors come down from the pulpit, you know, you have to be ready to come down like the the hammer of Thor and straighten these things out. And that's, I think what people are sick of, there is an element in the church that's always willing to ignore facts to say that the magisterium didn't err in a certain case. And that's a misguided response, and that's frustrating people. And I think that there's a tendency to kind of lump people in who are making a more nuanced point, like Matt and I are. Um, There's a tendency to be like, oh, well, uh, Dave and Matt, they're just trying to be like the the mainstream guys that are always covering for the Magisterium when it airs, and we're not. What we're trying to do is, uh, you know, adhere as faithful sons to the Magisterium and not throw the baby out with the bathwater, but at the same time, you know, correct when they air. Um, I, I think that's important to keep in mind. Yeah. we be There would be more of a willingness to um, accept... Uh, small deviations if there hadn't been you know a problem with with orthodoxy that's pervaded let's say the last pontificate or there there had been a pattern of statements that were coming down against traditional elements in the church you know we'd be more gracious in granting understanding and deference to these things if it weren't for the pattern and that's what i understand you saying matt yeah. if I'm, I'm not mistaken yeah that's that's i think that's right yeah, to to grant a that
1: there's a a problem of orthodoxy in this pontificate, your words, and also there's a pattern of of ridiculing tradition in this pontificate. That's that's the context against which people are like, all right, too too much nuance. I mean, for you know whatever. Francis Francis doesn't seem to like anybody that goes to a Latin mass. I'm not going to assume that he's talking about the right kind of. Uh, enemies to make at the Latin Mass, the, the, the truly judgmental ones who are a minority, whether or not we could locate that minority. That, that's that's the nuance within a nuance.
2: I don't know. I would say, just just wrap it up, the majority of people I meet who are going to traditional parishes are just good people who are trying to do their best yes. to raise families faithfully. They've got large families, they want a beautiful liturgy, they're tired of nonsense, um, and you know, they're often doing a heroic job at getting there. Yes. Their kids always look way better than my kids do when they take them to Holy Mass. and They're always there, you know, before the And they're the mass sitting, still, sitting, sitting still. Sitting still. And they're quiet. Why, why, we I'm used to go able. to this FSSP uh, parish in San Diego. And we said to Father, we're so sorry our kids are so loud. All these other kids, they seem so quiet. And he said, don't worry, I know enough about original sin and its effects to know those other kids aren't normal. I went, yes. <laughs> yeah no
1: of course the majority of the the uh the rigids out there the retrogrades are uh they're doing their their part too i'm going to quote the pope now because each of you guys did they're reproducing like rabbits and i, I guess good if i'm that. to take that in the hermeneutic of continuity he meant that in a good way yeah, yeah. no god, god bless him god love him <laughs> um so, so matt you have a new book out
2: Oh, it's uh, nice of you to do that. All right.
1: No, no, we want, we want every, and it's with Father Gregory Pine, right? Yes. Consecration yes, of
2: Mary through. Here it Aquinas. is. I, I, I just got him in the. It's always nice, you know, this, when the uh, publisher sends you the books, you get to hold it for the first time. It's like seeing your baby for the first time. It's it's really lovely. It's it called is. Marian Consecration with Aquinas, a nine day path for growing closer to the Mother of God. So basically, it's a, it's a sprint, not a marathon. It's not 33 days, it's nine days. And it's a preparation for total consecration to the Blessed Mother. Oh, beautiful. And what we did is there's a glorious prayer written by St. Thomas Aquinas in which he talks about entrusting himself, his past, his future, his body, his senses, everything to her. And so we thought, gosh, it's so lovely. It really is kind of in the De Montfortian spirit, though he lived prior to him, of course. Um, And what we did is Aquinas wrote a beautiful commentary on the Hail Mary uh, he also, in his academic sermons, wrote some beautiful things about the Mother of God. And so each day, you read a chunk of Aquinas, and then we commentate on that, and you're kind of gradually progressing, and then you make that final prayer. So that, that's, that's it. It's with Tan, Tan and it's yeah, on Amazon if people want it or not. But yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm excited about it. When did it come out? I think like uh, two minutes ago uh, <laughs> while, <laughs> while we were speaking. Like I think, yeah, I think actually like maybe today it actually kind of went live. They've had it as uh, as a pre-order on Amazon uh, and it's just went live there today. And I just got these this week in the mail. So it's kind of cool to see.
1: Oh, it's exciting. Congratulations. Everyone should go pick that up. Can you hold the book up one more time? Yeah.
2: yeah. The thing, what's, what I love about Tan is they make things look beautiful and sacred. Like you can see, that's a, that's a thin read. It's a, every day, just for nine days. So It's beautifully done, and they do a great job uh, p- printing traditional books and messages.
1: Yeah, that's, that's beautiful, man. Well, congrats. Everyone run out and Thanks. get a copy of that. What's your relationship with uh, Father Pine? He's a, he's yeah, a good a Yeah, Father man. Gregory
2: Pine is a brilliant young Dominican. He's, he's often on uh, Pints with Aquinas, and so we've gotten to know each other very well over the last several months. And we just decided to to do this together. So any brilliant intellectual and theological insights ought to be attributed to him in this book. <laughs> no, no, don't sh- don't sell yourself short, my friend. No, I'm not. You're I'm right? not. He's just that good.
1: <laughs> well, everyone, go go pick that puppy up. And uh, I wanted to talk to you, Matt, about this. sounds sounds like a dirty joke or something. I wanted to talk to you about pornography too, but we're we're yeah. out of time. We'll, we'll have to have you on. Uh To talk with us uh, hopefully sometime soon, people say that as a formality I mean it real oh, because you. you're kind of one of the o g s on this topic uh i mean not not <laughs> not in the world everyone <laughs> knows it's wrong, but I mean you've been out there saying how how important this topic is, and now it's gotten like. Uh, a momentum built up, snowball effect, and and people are willing to talk about it, even young people. I'm, I'm the, happy to.
2: I'm happy to take five or ten minutes to respond to anything if you want. While um, you know, my wife will forgive me for being ten minutes late if you want to.
1: Yeah, let's do it. You want to? I mean, I just want to. I just wanted to give you props that you've been out there, really one of the Catholic voices prioritizing this issue long before. Now it's coming under the uh legislative scrutiny of of many many legislators around the country who are feeling uh they are hearing from the groipers, do you know what a groiper is matt No. Or the, yeah, yeah, the whole different topic, but you've been there all along. can you give us some up uh sum up for us? What the crisis is? Yeah, I mean, just in five minutes. Sure. So you,
2: yeah, you, I'd say I'd minutes. say over the last, uh, I, I'd say traditionally, the left, if you want to use that word, have tried to make it seem that this is a religious issue. So people who hate sex or uh, you know uh, view sexual pleasure with any sort of skepticism, usually Christian people have spoken against porn because they're against sex. But uh, this isn't. I mean, that might be true of certain Christians, but I don't think it's true of, of the majority. Not the, uh, rabbits. Over, we, the, not the yeah, rabbits. We. Yeah. Not me. We're loving it. Uh, Over the the last 40 years, there's been a lot of science that's come out of academia from different branches like neurology, sociology, and psychology. And it's all saying quite um, unambiguously that porn's detrimental to us, uh, to our relationships, to society. So right now, there are 45 neuroscience-based studies uh, that, that, that lend strong support for the addiction model. There are over 75 studies that link porn to sexual dissatisfaction. There are 35 studies that link porn use to sexual dysfunction, and seven of those show causation, because once that one element was removed, a person regained their faculty or something like that. Uh, all, all of this is to say, um, as all of this sort of trickles out of the ivory tower of academia, more people are speaking out against it. Uh, yeah. James Hetfield, the lead singer of Metallica, uh, narrated an anti-porn documentary. Um, uh, what's that bloke na- who, who just wrote that? Jesus is King. What's his name? Oh, Kanye? Yeah, Kanye spoke about how porn messed him up as a kid. He did. I mean, Pamela Anderson spoke about, she said, those who watch porn are losers. And, you know, I might not say that that emphatically, but she did. And all of this, I think, is illustrative that there is this sort of realization that porn's not good for us. And so I'd say the biggest anti porn sites on the web right now, you know, yourbrainonporn.com, nofap.com, these are run by friends of mine who are atheists or agnostics. So it's it's been it's nice to see you know as as, as science catches up with the truth that the church has always taught that that porn is seriously uh, bad. <laughs> so right. that's that's nice. So I travel and I speak to tens of thousands of teens every year and just sort of say you don't have to keep going down the dead end road that porn hub wants you to be on. You can make a change and um, your life would be a lot more beautiful because of it. And what are the numbers? The numbers are staggering for those who don't know. It's like 97%
0: of males have looked at pornography within the last six months. And I think it's in, what, the high 70s, low 80s for women. I mean, this is an absolute epidemic of something that is so gravely devalues human life and dignity, just makes somebody... Uh, just literally make somebody an instrument of your own pleasure reduces them to a hunk of meat, and it's yeah. disgusting and despicable.
2: Yeah, it is it is absolutely 100%. And so it's, it, it, as I talk about this, I'm trying to both show that it's demonic, and I'm also – Wanting to show the compassion that our Lord would want to show to those who are caught up in this, you know, congratulate them for their desire to break free, tell them they're not alone, tell them they don't have to keep going down this dead end road. Um, I'm going to plug one more book, but I don't make any money from this book, so it's an okay plug. This is called The Porn (laughs) Myth. I put this out a couple of years ago. It's a non-religious response to pro-porn arguments. Uh, so there's no talk of Christ or sin or confession or anything like that in here. It's just all the science. And 100% of the royalties go to help sexually traffic victims in San Diego. There's a group called Children of the Immaculate Heart. So if you get on Audible or buy the book, it, it doesn't go to me. It goes to them. Um, but that book kind of lays – I tried to, to lay it all out there. There's, it's 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 just a terrible, unfortunate way to live. And I would just say to any of your viewers, whether they be a man or a woman who's enslaved in this, that um, you know, you're good. The Lord loves you. He wants to free you from this. You don't. Don't have to keep going down this dead-end road, and help really is available. One of the things I help create is a 21-day detox from porn course called strive21.com, and that's totally free. It's for men. We're looking at developing one for women, but a man can go on there, be as anonymous as he wants, doesn't have to pay a cent, and over the course of 21 days, he gets 21 little videos, very well produced. He gets to interact with over 12,000 men who are going through the course this moment as we speak right now. Wow. Um, so that could be a way to kind of help anyone who's struggling with this. Matt,
0: uh, can you tell people who might be struggling for this, aside from breaking this chain of grave sin, obviously, to, to look at pornography and self-abuse that goes with it so often is is mortal sin. But So aside from that, uh, breaking the chain of lust and, and really chastening the body has— A significantly good effect on the rest of your life. It's a way to inculcate self-discipline and clear thinking, right? Because if you can't, if you can't chase in the body, you can't think right. So all of the great thinkers throughout history have had to be chased. Can you speak to some of these other benefits of breaking this cycle? Gosh,
2: it's a beautiful way to put it. My friend Alexander Rhodes runs the website nofap.com. He got interested in this when um, he was fornicating with his girlfriend, not being a Christian, not seeing there being any problem with that. His, his forgive me, but his genitals weren't working. He found out the reason for this was because of his uh, use of pornography. And you, you he's got over, I think, hundreds of thousands now in the subreddit forum. And you read the accounts of these people and what they're experiencing. They're saying things like, um, "I'm the colors are brighter. I'm experi. <laughs> yeah, I'm ex- I, I started crying today. It's been like five years since I've felt an emotion. They're documenting what is happening to them as they begin to quit porn. And this isn't like an anomalous account. We're seeing this over and over and over again, because pornography does have a really a neurologically uh, deleterious effect on us. Uh, I don't know if I put that well, but you know what I mean? Uh, so that as, as the body begins to sort of regulate and work well again, was the dopamine system begins to kind of heal itself, as it were, uh, people are finding, yeah, that they can think clearer, that they have more energy. Um, that they're engaging in behaviors that, that they find beautiful. I mean, I wish I could go back into my childhood and speak to me and say, dude, instead of spending hundreds of hours looking at porn and masturbating, what if you like read something beautiful or learn how to shoot a gun or learn how to play piano, like all these beautiful things that you could have done that you never got to because it was robbed in a sense, right? Willingly chose to be enslaved to it. So, yeah, the, 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 as, as you say, I mean, pornography is a grave sin and, and it can lead us to hell. Um, but, but apart from those negative side effects, it has all these other negative side effects. And as we begin to break free of it, people are talking a lot about how beautiful their lives are becoming.
0: It's like George Costanza when he, he gives up sex on Seinfeld and he becomes like a super genius, right? I mean, <laughs> we don't promise that, but it really is marked, you know, for people who are struggling even with grades. Once you build That's up right. this self-discipline in this other way and, and you inculcate virtue and grace is operating within you, you're going to see your life. You're going to have self-discipline and self-mastery in every other way, and you will be able to think clearly because lust is the flesh dominating the mind, right? Absolutely. The, to be a clear thinker and a smart person, your mind has to dominate your flesh. So anyone who is a clear thinker, it goes without saying that they're chased. It's like Thomas Aquinas when he – prayed for the gift of celibacy when his family had locked uh, a hooker in his room to try and dissuade him from the priesthood, right? It kind of—this it. This is a great test case, because we have the greatest thinker, perhaps of all time, in Thomas Aquinas, and he especially prayed for this gift of celibacy and chastity so that he could acquire the priesthood, the vocation uh, of holy orders. It's not, a, not an everyday kind of uh, hypothetical that many people can
1: relate to, right, that Oh yeah, you know when my family locked a hooker in the room with me, I, I felt short. Or I, hey, I,
0: mom and dad, dad didn't do that to you. <laughs> no, they did it to Dave. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, uh, on that note, the note of being locked up with a hooker, we are out of time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, Matt, it's been, it's been. This is like look, people don't know. Here's here's the last closing point. We're goofing around in the no longer the Matt Fred. Uh, show studio. Now it's just Matt Fred show with pints of pints with Aquinas. But we were goofing around. We did like three takes for that opening. We had three solidly funny like first five minutes lined up to that interview. And then one of us said something and just would would ruin it and start laughing. So we did that three takes, but it was all pretty much comedic gold. Uh,
2: it'll have to be on then, the
1: bloopers. Yeah 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 no I you should go back through that 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 dat reel man because the the fourth one started out really serious. You're like, let's talk about Abby, and then you weren't tempted to try to screw me up, speaking or whatever. So we weren't we weren't laughing out of control then. But I now mean, we we're having a good time um, talking about you know whatever uh, Aquinas and hookers or whatever. Uh, and and yeah, that didn't that didn't make the cut. And that might have also influenced the uh, gloomy. Impression um, in, left in some of the minds of the. But well, on the other hand, those are just the pro clutches. They're always gonna, they're always gonna look for drama and trouble. But well, honestly, but, if
2: anything, and I, I do have to go. But if anything, I think it, it, really, for those who got upset with what you had to say, I think it humanized you. I mean, here's this father who loves his bride and loves his daughter, and there was this beautiful story of, you know, your love for these women in your life. So, they, I mean, if they want to dismiss you, they have to, they have to wrestle with that too. And I think that's, you know. Amen. Yeah. You got it. So ends the Hooker Show. Yep. Thanks a lot, guys. You had a great. Thanks great so chat much, man. Tell me, tell me when it's live, and I'll share it. Okay.
1: This should be. Uh, this this will be people that are watching. This will be Friday. Friday uh, is today in this alternate reality. Ah. So.
2: God bless you. Bye, Dad. Yeah, you nice too, man. You. Bye, Tim. Nice to Peace. Nice to talk to Peace. you. Thanks Peace. so much.